0: Welcome to episode 46 of Poetry Says. I'm Alice. Thanks so much for downloading this one, for tuning in. I've noticed that uh, I've got quite a few new listeners these days and I'm really, really excited to have you. So thank you so much for being part of the podcast. This episode is going to be a little bit different to normal. We're not actually going to be looking at a poem specifically. We're going to talk a little bit more about something that I think affects quite a few people who do creative work, specifically poets, and that is imposter syndrome. And I was really, really lucky to have Louise Carter um, come on and chat to me about this. We talked a little bit about this in person when I was up in Sydney and I just thought this would be a really great conversation to share with a wider audience. I think it will hopefully help a few people out there. We start off by talking about what is imposter syndrome and how does it affect poets in particular and then towards the end we actually do get into a few ideas and strategies for how to deal with it because it can be pretty debilitating. So I really hope you get something out of this and thanks for listening. Okay, well, I'm here with Lou Carter, who's coming for a second round of Poetry Says. Thank you, Lou. No worries. Um, yeah, so when I went up to Sydney a couple of months back, Lou and I actually caught up in person and we had a lovely afternoon, couple of glasses of wine, looked at some books. And one of the things that came up in our chat was the idea of imposter syndrome as it relates yep. to poetry. Um, so this is going to be a little bit of a different episode. I don't think we're going to actually get into any poems as such, but I suspect, and I don't know if you would agree with this Lou in your, uh, travels as a poet, but I suspect that this is an issue that affects a lot of artistic people, a lot of creative people and a lot of poets specifically.
1: Definitely. And academics as well.
0: Mm. Mm. Oh God. Yes. From the academic angle, it must be. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. We'll probably get into that yeah. as well.
1: So if you add, uh, you know, a creative academic, I mean, it's kind of a perfect storm.
0: Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so tell uh, tell people about where you're at in terms of um, – because you're kind of in that space at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, sort of, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> there it is already, sort of. I'm uh, not sure <laughs> if I am. <laughs>
1: Uh, Well, I mean, I first heard of the the phrase imposter syndrome when I began um, my doctorate. And apparently it's a thing that doctoral candidates kind of universally suffer from. And it it basically means that you feel like you are a fraud, like you are infiltrating this world that you don't belong in and that uh, you're going to be found out And that's any of your achievements are basically flukes and you've fooled everyone. Uh, You're a giant pretender and uh, (laughs) it's only a matter of time, basically.
0: Yeah, they're coming for you slowly but surely. Um, And the reason that I love talking to you about this specifically is that we both come from a similar background. We both spent many years in the coal mines of copywriting different kind of kinds of copywriting but we're both doing that sort of working with words essentially to make people do things yeah yeah the dark side and so I feel like in a way well for me at least having that background that's what I feel like is going to be found out and obviously like it's on my LinkedIn profile you can see the jobs that I've done (laughs) but um yeah, I don't yeah. know. I feel like one day someone is going to walk up to me at a launch or a reading and just be like, what the hell are you doing here?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I have the same anxiety, it's similar, uh, but I've recently been putting my dark copywriting past front and centre in my creative work. And it turns out I actually have a lot to say about that, which has been quite exciting.
0: Yeah, mm. yeah, you sent me a draft the other week with an insanely good poem about it yeah and obviously I love I loved it because it was right in my wheelhouse as well but I yeah it was just so so good (laughs) um yeah so when I started looking into a definition Mm. of imposter syndrome what I realized was it's not just something that comes upon you um out of nowhere You have to have a certain level of success yes, before you feel like you get this feeling of, oh, I'm going to be found out. So there's a beautiful phase when you start writing poetry or start doing anything where you're just a beginner Mm. and no one can accuse you of anything and then you get whatever it Mm. is.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, nothing filled me with more shame and anxiety then getting into best australian poems the first time <laughs> good things just really stress me out and i have to go lie on the floor
0: that's amazing was that like instant you got the email and you were like oh shit i'm gonna lie down
1: i well I've, I've, i experience i about a day of elation and then uh that's immediately chased with horror and shame <laughs> fear yeah, dread. That kind of thing.
0: That's amazing.
1: Which been last for years. Yeah, and I still feel sheepish about that poem. I don't think it's very good, and I feel apologetic about it. It's weird. Which poem was it? Oh, uh, I was I was going through this phase where I mean I didn't know anything about poetry at the time. I was just writing. I was writing one per day for an entire year. And they were just kind of little um, snapshots of whatever it was I'd been doing. I was trying to find the transcendent within the everyday. So it was just a poem about catching the train, basically.
0: Okay. Mm. Wow. And now you look back on it, or was it pretty soon after you got accepted, you started thinking, oh, that poem is no good?
1: Yeah, I just, I, I would feel embarrassed to think about it because I thought it, it stood out as obviously inept.
0: <laughs> like the worst one in the anthology.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like it didn't even count. <laughs> that
0: sucks. Like you're in Best Australian Poems and, and I'm sure, I'm positive, you're not the only poet in that anthology that mm. f- feels that way.
1: Um, yeah, I'm absolutely sure. I, and I realise that this thing, is it, it becomes a vicious cycle because you – you were driven to achieve more to kind of prove to yourself that you are legitimate, but with each new achievement, it makes it that much worse. Yep. Uh, so it just kind of feeds into itself really.
0: Yeah. There was something in, I got this definition from the Harvard business review about imposter syndrome. Um, and it says people who have it are unable to internalize their accomplishments However successful they are in their field, so, mm. and and I've felt this in my own life as well. Um, mm. Not so much in my like making money career, but in my writing life, definitely. Yep. It's like every achievement, I can figure out a reason why that one was the fluke, and yep. um, also why I should just discount that one because, yep, doesn't it doesn't count, yep. <laughs> It's amazing, amazing, really, really amazing. Mm. Um,
1: I feel like this podcast is kind of a, a way of confronting it, you know, like I'm doing it on purpose to try and tell myself to snap out of it.
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, oh, man, I'm going to bring up a very weird example right now um, from a very disgraced public figure, one Tiger Woods. I remember reading in Time magazine, uh, it was 2000, I remember, because I was overseas, I was reading this magazine, and um, I remember him saying in this interview, uh, immediately after every win, I start to think about the next competition. And at Mm. the time, being 19 years old, I was like, oh my God, he's so driven, what an amazing thing. Now I think about that, and I'm like, that's tragic.
1: Oh, but I can relate to that, though. Yeah, yeah. Any, I mean, any poet, yeah, you, like I say, you have a moment of elation
0: and then it's kind of like, now what,
1: where do you go from there?
0: Yeah, and also I can imagine, like, especially getting into Best Australian Poems, um, there must also be a sense of, like, uh, needing to top it maybe or needing to maintain that.
1: Yes. Yeah, because I feel I feel even if I haven't written a poem for a couple of weeks, it's like can I can I still call myself a poet? It feels like I can't say that about myself unless I'm actively writing amazing poetry. <laughs> mm. No matter what I have written.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and that gets it to something that I was gonna bring up as well, which is this question of who gets to decide whether yeah. you're a poet or not. And mm. yeah, I've definitely been through long, long periods. Periods of years. Yeah. Where I didn't write anything. I'd barely even yeah. read anything. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean these are like the working the working I watched
1: years. Doctor Phil <laughs> at the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> He's full of good advice, isn't he, Doctor Phil?
1: It was it was so sad I think back in it. I mean, Doctor Phil was on at about midday. And sometimes I couldn't get out of bed in time to watch Dr. Phil. That was yeah. my life.
0: Yeah. Mm. That's rough when you wake up and the credits are rolling on Dr. Phil. That's not a good And feeling. it's
1: 1pm. Yeah, and you're like,
0: ah. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've definitely had times like that. But I've also had times where just work took over and became mm. so important. And mm. – um. You kind of start to tell yourself, like, like, oh yeah, I'll write poetry when I retire or something like that, you know. I
1: thought all the time too. I have this weird idea of myself in my sixties, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a garden. I'm gonna have chickens. I'll drink a lot of tea, and I'll meditate a lot, and write poetry. But, I mean, I feel like I should be writing poetry now because I'm doing a lot of things that are interesting, and uh, that makes for good poetry. So, well, I, I mean, I am. But even the stuff I am writing, I sometimes feel like it doesn't count if it's not, to my mind, good enough. It's just a scribbling in a notebook. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But the crazy thing about that is that, um, uh, not to call you crazy, but the thing about that is (laughs) that, like, essentially what you're saying is only on the days when I write something that I'm happy with, am i Mm. a poet so i'm a Mm. poet like maybe one time out of 20 Mm. and um i was actually listening to this really great interview with brian Eno the other day and he was saying yeah he's amazing and he was saying like i have learned not to trust my instinct while i'm creating because often if i feel good in the moment i'll come back the next day and i'll think this is no good and also Mm. vice versa Um, yep Yeah, I mean, PJ
1: Harvey when she was writing Uh "Aha Her," she said, "I I threw out everything I liked," which um, it's actually kind of informed my practice a little bit
0: as well. Wow, yeah, Yeah. that's really interesting because yeah, I I have a few poems that I've held on to doggedly through (laughs) rejection after rejection. I'm like, no, I like this poem. I always
1: set fire to them in the backyard. Well, I mean, metaphorically, but (laughs) embarrassing.
0: yeah yeah that's interesting
1: but you keep going with them
0: well yeah I do I do because I feel like I want to follow my gut feel which is uh this is important to me for some inexplicable reason and one day an editor will read it and like it
1: you should trust that um you know as we discussed I have had poems like that too where they've come back but there was just something alive within it that just it, it demanded expression. So I reworked it and,
0: yeah. Yeah. Mm. And sometimes that process takes a really long time. And coming back to this idea of you're only a poet when you're writing, when you're writing good stuff. mm like, I, I, I don't know, sometimes I feel like this might be a cop-out, but I do think that there are fallow periods and there are periods when you are just reading or maybe you're yep. not reading. they are so important necessary. necessary. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so we know that, but at the same time, we're beating ourselves up on the days that we're not writing.
1: Well, I mean, doing a doctorate is the same thing. I mean, it can feel like you're doing absolutely nothing, but... I really what so much of the time that it takes is just time to work it through your own mind and you don't – sometimes you're not even conscious of that happening. It's not like you sit down and think, well, I'm going to think about this now. It's just kind of working away at the back of your mind. And then when you, you sit down finally to write something, it comes out quite sophisticated. <laughs> so, Yeah, yeah because I'll- you've
0: had that percolation time. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, um. But then I think so. There are all sorts of ways to be kind to yourself around this, and tell yourself like, it's okay because I'm taking the time and I'm taking a step back and giving something room to breathe, and I don't have to write every day. Yeah. And this I've written down in my notes here, the 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 line that runs through my head when when imposter syndrome is like really kicking in for me, and that is. People who are bad don't know that they're bad, right? Mm. So I feel like somehow I'm keeping myself safe from being a terrible poet by constantly telling myself, you're not very good, if that makes sense.
1: Yep, Uh, definitely. Uh, I I used to make coffee and I I had a philosophy that uh, the first step to being good is to not be bad. You know, if you don't fuck it up, that's like 90% of it. (laughs) 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 can I swear on your show sorry it's okay yeah (laughs) um but yeah absolutely I mean I would never want to be that person who's unaware of the fact they're bad
0: uh so I scrutinize and I chastise constantly yeah I mean that's that's a a chilling thought isn't it that horrifying yeah that you're this person who somehow is just getting getting out there through sheer force of will and actually there's zero talent and no one has the guts to tell you Hundred <laughs> percent. Mm, that mm. is my my greatest fear. Mm. yeah god um pulling out a little bit from our own experience there's a few yep. people have been thinking about this for a couple of months now since we chatted and there's a few kind of instances of more public figures and their imposter syndrome that um that I noticed uh one of them was in this documentary about Nick Cave called 20,000 Days on Earth oh my oh, god yep. that's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life I can't believe I finished really? it I hate it I'm a huge Nick Cave fan I hated every second of it
1: I loved it oh really <laughs> I disagree with you disagree also
0: I loved the um once more with feeling that's I guess he didn't about his go son. Back. Yeah, yeah, I want to watch that one. Yeah, but Twenty Thousand Days on Earth, I thought was like super self indulgent and weirdly staged. No way! Oh, I loved it. Oh, i loved
1: it in cave. So,
0: I'm really glad somebody liked it. <laughs> but there's this. So the, well, there's a scene the- in that that just kind of jumped out at me. He's driving the car, and and Kylie Minogue uh, magically appears in the back seat. Yep. And um, she says, you know, because they're talking about legacy and she says, I worry about being forgotten and about being lonely. Um, and I, it's kind of like was stunning to me that Kylie Minogue is going to worry about being forgotten. Like, clearly, yep. there's no level of success at which you're not worried about that kind yep. of thing.
1: I guess arguably the people who become the most famous to use that as a kind of yardstick of measurement are the people who are most afraid of being forgotten
0: yeah that's true that's probably Mm. really true because like the bigger it gets the more it defines you the more precious it is to your whole sense of identity I guess Mm. yeah there's
1: a this is totally off topic but there's a question from personality tests that I I really liked which was uh Would you rather be forgotten or hatefully remembered? (laughs) And which did you pick? Uh, I think I picked forgotten, but a little part of me didn't mind the idea of being hatefully remembered.
0: (laughs) Mm. Depends, like, in what way, though, hey? Like, if you're kind of like a Ted Hughes-ish, like, oh, Ted Hughes, but he's such a good writer, but, oh, we hate him kind of thing. I'd I'd be okay with that. Mm. Although... Maybe not Ted Hughes, exactly. No, not, not <laughs> Ted Hughes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. <clears throat> and speaking of, that, that was <clears throat> another example that kind of floated into my mind over last month, which is um, Sylvia Plath telling her mum that her B poems were going to be the poems that actually made her name Mm -hmm. um obviously that well not obviously but it seems to me those poems are like pretty much eclipsed by daddy and ariel of course yeah so like again the thing that feeds into this idea of imposter syndrome is like you don't know how people are going to receive your work you don't know how people are going to remember your work and it's like so completely out of your control yes it is. Yeah. So on the one hand, it's like don't don't even worry about it, just keep doing your thing. And on the other hand, um, oh my god, it kind of makes you want to double down and try and and just try that much harder to police your, the response that people are having to your work, I suppose.
1: I um I had a thought about the creative process with regards to imposter syndrome, and I thought that. It it's kind of valid to feel like an imposter because, for me, poetry comes from outside of myself. I feel like it's that clichéd idea, but I absolutely feel it's true that I am just kind of giving voice to something that just kind of travels through me and it's not me as such. So I can't take credit for these poems I've written because it wasn't me.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Although, I mean,
1: that said, I, I feel like <laughs> it's a really easy way to offend people because people will compliment you sometimes. I mean, I had a compliment on this podcast that we recorded, the previous one, and um, they want to make you feel good. They, they want to communicate that they enjoyed it. So it's sort of offensive if you say, oh, oh, that was bad. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Or someone who is striving to get into Best Australian, for instance, and they say, oh, yeah, good poem. And you say, oh, that that piece of crap, you know. (laughs) (laughs) People could interpret that maybe as as some sort of arrogance,
0: uh, possibly. Yeah, yeah, I think... um... I said at the end of the last episode, I'm like the world's worst taker of compliments. And mm. I think it often does come across as if I am like insulting the person who's giving me the compliments. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying mean to, to
1: get at, at receiving compliments because it, yeah, it is, it's offensive. I mean, and I know that I've given people compliments where I really want them to know that I have just loved their thing mm. and I want them to feel good because they've made me feel good, but I've just managed to make them feel uncomfortable
0: <laughs> yeah but yeah no it's mm. exactly right um i actually
1: feel the best way as a poet to give a compliment is to respond to their work within your own work
0: i think yeah that makes a lot of sense actually as you are doing with uh one luke davies
1: sort of i mean i feel a bit um shy <laughs> about kind of directly engaging but it's it's definitely in there
0: mm. yeah but, yeah, there's something about being able to gracefully take a compliment and something about being able to say, yeah, I did write that thing and, yeah, I did get it accepted and just kind of leave it at that. Um, there's something very – there's a lot of grace in that and there's a lot of <laughs> – the person that you're talking to doesn't feel bad. You don't have to feel bad. I yeah. Think well, that, yeah. there's an, There's an Australian a- level to this, I think. Oh, yes, cultural cringe, 100%. Not wanting to say, like, not wanting to big note yourself. Um, Yes. I noticed this hugely when I was in the U.S. last year. Those poets are all about, like, I am here, I'm amazing, I listen to this, you know. Yep. And I am just sit there in awe, just being like, you're allowed to say that?
1: <laughs> so that was, I guess, the thing I noticed most when I went to America and I saw poetry readings there. Uh, there, there was nothing apologetic. Even in, yeah, I've seen uh, poetry readings in Australia and just even in the way people stand, mm. they, they're they like apologising with their entire body. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: I, I totally saw that in the US once or twice too, but... um it's much more I think possibly because the slam scene is a little bit more integrated with the rest of what's going on but yeah they're just Mm -hmm. like I want you to hear what I'm saying I stand behind it and the fact that I'm here in front of this microphone is not embarrassing it's yeah this is this is happening
1: so (laughs) I I envy the Americans that but at the same time uh, I think I am still happy to be Australian because uh, you know, that thing we spoke of earlier, like, you don't know that you're bad. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I think it's easier in America to stand up and be unashamedly bad uh, than it is in Australia. Yeah, I
0: think you might be right. Although they're probably
1: having more fun. They're probably, like, happier.
0: <laughs> yeah, happier overall, Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we spoke when we first talked about this, we spoke about how there is probably also a female element to this whole thing as well. Yeah. A gender element.
1: I mean, as I said, my, my evidence is purely anecdotal, but for instance, when I did my undergrad at UTS, um, a thousand million years ago, <laughs> I, I noticed that the the boys in my year like they didn't have any problem with calling themselves writers or calling themselves poets or artists that was just how they would introduce themselves and you just I well, I would just take that for granted I would just be like oh okay right so you're a poet I mean that's really impressive excellent wow that guy's a poet and I didn't <laughs> didn't see myself in the you know it took me t- at least 10 years from that point to even dream of calling myself a poet let alone an artist uh I, I do think that is a gendered thing like that kind of god-given right, and that you know of course you would want to listen to me and, and you know of course I deserve to create art I, I've had a a lot of problems in coming to terms with why do I deserve to create art you know why do I get to be an artist you know who cares about anything I have to say yeah yeah
0: yeah. which is amazing to me being like separately to now knowing you as a person as a friend the way that I came to know you was through your work and it connected with me so um, immediately and I know that you know I, I shared it with another friend of mine she had the exact same response I mean, sure, like, we're uh, inner-city-ish, older-ish um, white ladies. <laughs> yes. But, like, it's okay. I don't think we're doing a huge amount of damage by writing poems that, that connect with uh, each other. I hope not.
1: Yeah, and I, I I had all those insecurities as well. I mean, I grew up in, in the suburbs. I'm white Australian. I mean, who cares? Like... What kind of a story is that, and why do I deserve to tell my story? Mm. however, I mean it's not like I'm damaging the world by putting poetry into it in fact i, I think I'm making it better, so
0: yeah, it would be a, yeah the the damage that poems do is it's <laughs> pretty minor even when they do do damage
1: uh, so I wanted to talk about um why imposter syndrome is something that you, I mean, if you suffer from it, it's worth trying to uh, address it. Like it's actually, it's actually a really serious thing because if you feel like, um, yeah, number one, if you feel like if you achieve things that you don't deserve anything you've achieved, then things start to feel really futile and it can get pretty dark. Um, And, I mean, you know, you get stories of poets or writers or creative people committing suicide, uh, and I would suggest it's possibly related to what we're talking about now. So, I, yeah, I mean, that's why I think it's worth sort of – looking at it within yourself and trying to do something about it. And I think it it can be really isolating because you, you, because if you feel like you don't belong in a crowd, then you can't connect with the people around you. You find it hard to make friends. You know, that sense of belonging is such a innate human need and it, it does prevent you and it prevents you from trying new things and putting yourself out there and you know, exploring your potential, and all of these things really suck. So I, I've kind of been actively trying to uh, attack it in the recent years of my life, and yeah, stuff like podcasting and readings, and <laughs> doing a doctorate have all been attempts to try and wake myself up. You know. Mm. Mm
0: -hmm. yeah uh, just going back to what you're saying about being part of a group too um it reminds me of conversation one of the first conversations I had with a journal editor when she Mm. accepted a piece of mine and this thing that she said to me has kind of become my mantra against feeling like an imposter
1: yeah
0: because I was saying you know oh I go to readings and like you know I just stand up the back so I don't know anybody And uh, I really felt like, you know, this is no casting no aspersions on anyone here in Melbourne, but going to reading in Melbourne is intensely intimidating. It's really scary, terrifying. I never go. (laughs) Well, I've made myself go now, and I've kind of I'm now doing um, uh, improv lessons uh, for various reasons, but one of the one of the things that it helps me with is like actually being able to walk up to someone and be like hello person (laughs) I am this person you know kind of thing but I I couldn't I couldn't um, do that at the time and I was talking to this editor about this situation she said oh yes I'm the same Um, Mm -hmm. but the fact is we're all just having a go yeah Uh, you know it was like such a such a simple thing to say but it kind mm. of made me realize, like, I am just doing my best. I'm not trying to write bad work. And, you know, mm. sometimes it gets pick, picked up, often it doesn't. But, mm. like, uh, yeah, I just, it just kind of took all the, it diffused that whole kind of huge um, swirling mass of, like, who am I to be here? I'm only from Canberra. These people don't know me, you know, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I, I experienced the exact same feeling. And, and even though now I'm sort of known as a poet, I still feel like, oh, God, I just realized it's like totally creeped by Radiohead. <laughs> what the hell am I doing here? I
0: don't <laughs> Hey, look, it's a song <laughs> of a generation, Lou. <laughs> I
1: used to get a really good score on like rock band for that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, I think the thing is that that, particularly at a poetry reading, just about everyone is feeling exactly the same thing. Um, I, I talked to Toby Fitch about it, who organises um, the poetry night at Sappho Books in Glebe, and he calls it aversion therapy. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> and it's, it's true. The, the more readings I do, the more it helps. But I just find the energy in those rooms because you've got all – You've got the nervous energy of the people who are actually reading, but then you've got the nervous energy of the people in the crowd who are just nervous to be there. And I just kind of pick up on all that energy and I, I find it incredibly full on. They have to drink large amounts of alcohol. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yep. I think I, I'm really glad that we're talking about this because I think this is uh, more than imposter syndrome. This is something that so many people feel and, mm. yeah, just... I mean, I'm running a poetry event now, doing sporting poets, and like, just want to put it out there: if you don't feel like you can come because it's a bit full on, don't even worry about it. I get it, I get mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and
1: I said to someone that I'd rather be on the stage than in the crowd, uh, because I guess if you're on the stage, you legitimate participant of the evening. <laughs> <laughs> and also, yeah, I mean. Just that nervous energy inside the crowd, like just socialising to me is kind of harder than actually giving a reading.
0: Because <laughs> well, you're in control, right? You're in total control when you're in front of the yeah. mic, especially if you've, if you really love the poem you're about to read.
1: Mm. Um, I mean, I've, yeah. had, I mean, I've had social anxiety my whole life, and I've gotten around it, uh, but it, it'll never leave me. Like people will say. But you're so confident and outgoing, and I'm like, yeah, it's really not who I am. Like at my heart of hearts, I'm a shy, bookish introvert who would rather stay home with my cat and you know than than go out and talk to strangers at a poetry reading. But you just you got to get past it, get yourself out there.
0: Well, you do, um, and that reminds me of something. Another editor of a different journal said to me one time, uh, mm. w- which was you know it's part of being a poet is actually doing that networking and doing Mm. that meeting of people and when she said that I was just like no can't I just get by on my raw genius like come on you know can I
1: just be Emily Dickinson you know (laughs) yeah
0: I don't want to have to put myself out there I don't want to have to be known because if I'm that and it comes right back to the imposter syndrome thing right because like if I yep. go out there and I say, hi, I'm Alice, mm. there's, then there's that opportunity for that person to be like, who? <laughs> who, the, who, who the hell are you? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Um, and mm. that, that, that will be part of it. That is actually part of it because not everyone's going to immediately know you and be like, oh, Alice, you're here. Oh, my goodness, you're an amazing poet. You know, that just doesn't – that's not how that goes.
1: Well, I think it's also so important – because poetry is a very solitary art. It can be very lonely. It requires you to spend a lot of time kind of on your own, staring at a screen, thinking, why the hell am I doing this when I could be out there living my life? You know, like what? this is insane. I was sitting here with a Word document fiddling over some total of about 50 words as if it were important, <laughs> Um, so that can be hard, and I, I think it's really important to get out there and to make friends. And to you know, like what we're doing right now, um, it helps you to connect. It's it's a human thing.
0: Mm. Yeah, exactly. And just to remember, like like I was saying, you know, everyone's just having a go. No one is out there to make you feel bad um, or to no. make you feel inferior.
1: Oh, um, unless you're at, like an academic conference, in which case sometimes they are.
0: <laughs> well, do you want to get into that? Because I would love to hear about that.
1: <laughs> um, I guess, I mean, when I, in my first year, I encountered some people who, yeah, they were very combative. And yeah, I've been to some reading groups where there were people in the room, not all of them, but people in the room who just wanted to, they were there for a fight. <laughs> and I didn't realize that about academia, I just thought it was a bunch of people who really liked things having a nice time.
0: <laughs> right, but there's that, there's that whole um, – my, my dad's an academic and he talks about this a lot because he uh, – the stuff that he writes is kind of really unfashionable. Um, and, or at least this is what he tells me, I don't know. But, um, yeah, he says that there's a lot of kind of putting a stake in the ground and then defending that position to the death And it's kind of like, exactly as you say, it's not a bunch of people in a room discussing something that they like passionately and nerding out. It's like, oh, no, 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 this is my patch over here. Um, Yeah, I'm going to defend this. I did
1: not realise that essentially what a dissertation is, is you are taking a position and you're defending that position. I just thought, and lots of people are foolish like me, I just thought it was like, a hundred thousand words about something nice
0: (laughs) but you have to place yourself in opposition to take that position
1: yeah it's sort of been the hardest part of that for me but happily I'm kind of one of the first people to write about Luke Davies so I don't really have to go up against anyone I just have to put down what I reckon (laughs) and then someone else can have a go at me later I
0: guess yeah yeah that must be really tough uh, it
1: gets, it gets easier. It just depends. I mean, it just depends on people. Uh, I, I really dislike conferences. Uh, it's like one of the prime reasons where I don't think I could be a you know professional academic just because I get really I get really tired and bored. <laughs> like, yeah. my attention span runs out, and then I just like I just want to go and snack and like lie down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a legitimate response to a lot of. A lot of um not that i've been to that many conferences but those that i have yeah. stirred the same I, feelings in me i experience this kind of boredom which makes me
1: furious like i get really angry while i'm sitting there
0: yeah because and i'm screaming I, <laughs> I guess because it's kind of like in taking um in creating that kind of a conversation they've taken something that was originally um, you know, something to be excited and interested in and, and made it into something a lot more, a lot less movable, I suppose.
1: Oh, that you've, you've you've articulated that, yes, I've taken something I like. you know, I'm there at a poetry conference so you would imagine I'd be having a good time. But they've made it really, really hard work. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just so innately lazy. I'm just kind of like, oh, lame. <laughs> I feel like I'm I'm saying all these things people never admit to but whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I think you are articulating things that people never say. Um mm. at the same time, right? Mm. Like I wouldn't necessarily want people listening to think uh, somehow I'm anti-academic and obviously you're not anti-academic because you're still doing your dissertation. I'm
1: still doing it and I have seen some conference presentations that have changed my life. Mm. Like when they're good, they're absolutely amazing and it it validates the whole experience for you and, you know, it changes who you are as a person. Yep. Uh, So, you know, disclaimer.
0: Yeah, yeah, massive disclaimer and similarly I, i've just remembered i've been going along to these uh lectures at melbourne uni um with the english and theater studies department that they've been running and i just happened to get on the list and it's so far over my head but i still go along because i still learn at least one thing every time i go there and it's sure. also just good to be exposed to that level of thinking about um yep. things like poetry or film or theater and i feel it does, it does feel to
1: through kind of osmotically. Uh, it, it took me about three years, but I, the conferences I've been attending this year, it's kind of like that episode of The Simpsons where Bart goes to France and then all of a sudden he realises he can speak French. Exactly. I find myself able to understand what's been said, yes. which is great. And now I'm actually writing my thing and it's it's coming out sounding kind of fancy. <laughs> And I'm
0: like, Ooh, but it's a new language, right? Like I talked about this in terms of, um, a poem by Alison Whittaker with Mm -hmm. a past guest and she, uh, wrote a poem called Oh Eureka about that exact thing of academic language. And then how that relates back to, um, her own language and, and just acknowledging that this is a different kind of English, um, and yep. and the imposter syndrome comes on when you're sitting in that lecture theatre for the first time as a first year or as you, on your first um, yep. day doing your dissertation, and you think I'm only understand like I understand the grammar here, but I'm only understanding like one in every yeah. six words.
1: So, I would say day one is the hardest day of any doctorate. Like the the day I walked into writing and in society at Bankstown Western Sydney Uni, it was just. Yeah, it took everything within me not to run screaming. It's <laughs> just, yeah.
0: Yeah, and people do just kind of, and
1: I I have another philosophy that the the way to achieve difficult things is, is largely just to turn up. Uh, you may not think you are understanding anything or achieving anything, but I, I found myself just placing my body in that location as often as I could in that first year, and, and that helped. It really did, so
0: that's really true yeah just i like that just place your body in the location whether it's at the desk or at the poetry yeah, kind reading of a
1: boat, right like it's you are putting yourself there uh and that ends up yeah it changes you
0: mm. Mm. but yeah very slowly as you say it kind of yeah, filters yeah, through.
1: and the thing about learning is that it's pain <laughs> So if it's painful, it must be doing something. And I think that's another, you know how you feel like uh, you're not doing it right because it's painful or because I'm struggling. It means I'm not legitimate. But I think that is legitimate. Like that's it wouldn't be an achievement if you didn't struggle and if you didn't think I'm going to have to give up or if you didn't think I don't belong here, I can't do this so overcoming that is what makes it so worthwhile
0: yeah Mm. yeah you're making me realize that I definitely pretty much every time I open a draft I will think Mm. there's really nothing salvageable here and uh, this has to be abandoned and you need to stop (laughs) Yep. (laughs) but you just kind of Sometimes it's a case of I'll set myself a time limit. Sometimes I'll just say, okay, just edit it through once. Uh, Sometimes it's just a case of, okay, the deadline is coming. You need to do as much as you can on this and just send it off. Um, But, yeah, just place your body there.
1: I believe that sometimes you need to write poems to get them out of your system uh, to be able to write something else, something better. Like, I mean, I wrote a novel in my twenties. And I feel like that's what I needed to do to be able to write better things. <laughs> I just had to, had to clear it. <laughs> um, and it does work that way. I, yeah. So don't get discouraged. I, yeah. And I find myself jumping around with drafts. If something isn't working for me, well, you know, I'll just do something else. <laughs> come back to it. If it, if it still bothers me, if it still sticks around in my head, I'll, I'll come back to it.
0: Mm. Yeah, it doesn't have to be an act of actual self-torture, but... um. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, with poetry, I mean, I don't really get great work out of torture. For me, poetry is pleasure and it's work. It should be work, but it shouldn't be torture. Mm. Mm. Whereas I think writing a novel, I mean, God, <laughs> never again. I used to see myself as a, a novelist, but yeah, I think they they call it blood on the page, And if it's not blood on the page it's not any good but wow I I like things to be more fun and yeah pleasurable
0: yeah wow so do you think back on that novel now as literally just an exercise of getting it out of yourself or is do you think there's salvageable stuff in there uh
1: well it's interesting I've sort of turned some of the chapters into poems um like because I see poetry as a distillation so it's really interesting to say in a page what what took me originally 10 pages. Uh, yeah, and it's just realising that all the time I was writing that novel, really I wanted to be writing poetry because I hate plot and I hate exposition. <laughs> I just wanted to get to the good bits where they were like fighting or having sex.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> so that's all my poetry is now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's how I feel about it too. I've never even, I think I might have started a novel, maybe twice. Mm. Uh, one of them definitely would have been the in the nano mode. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> and yeah, I I
1: found my nothing. Greatest fear, my greatest fear is that I'm gonna die, and that people are gonna pull out the novel, and then it'll get like published like as an ebook or something. <laughs>
0: You mean as like a, look at Lou Carter, look what she was writing, ha, ha, ha. (laughs) Yeah, or like, or even
1: worse, if they were like, look at this, you know, undiscovered masterpiece, and it's like, no,
0: (laughs) it's not very good. Also, even if they think it's a masterpiece, you don't stand behind it, so you don't want it to go out there. Exactly. Ah.
1: It's not a masterpiece, by the way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But what if it is?
1: No. I shouldn't. Uh, I shouldn't have even said it on a podcast.
0: Now people are gonna wonder. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering. <laughs> um, well, I think it's pretty clear that while we don't have the answers about mm. dealing with imposter syndrome as a poet, we got a lot of like workaday workable strategies to kind of deal with it. Um, mm. Showing up, repetition. Yep. Working but not torturing yourself. I think these are all good things.
1: I mean, maybe just take some time out to reflect on what you have achieved and to allow yourself to feel good about that. I think that's healthy. I don't think it's egotistical. I mean, it is if you do it excessively. But it's nice to take stock every now and then.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, it feels really unnatural to me to do that. But it is. it's really important because if you don't, Um, Mm. like kind of what are you doing it for I suppose yeah I suppose I have this idea in my head that one day someone some authority figure is going to turn around and be like you've been doing a good job at this (laughs) well you have been (laughs) I don't know if I count but (laughs) you definitely count
1: (laughs) thank you I mean I feel like poetry podcasts anything is just kind of like me talking to a younger version of myself I feel like if this can reach someone who felt the same way I did like in my lost and depressed 20s then that makes you know this feel very worthwhile
0: (laughs) yeah 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 definitely I uh i completely agree and I am often thinking of my own lost and depressed 20s and also like the the people who i know are listening who are very new to poetry and who feel like there's a lot of rules and there's a lot of things that i don't know and there's mistakes i'm going to make that i won't know that i'm making and yeah just to take some of the mystery out of it because god knows that there is a lot of mystery and uh by being Uh, a bit real i don't think we're going to deflate the balloon very much well i hope we have uh provided a little bit of solace to some people feeling like maybe they don't deserve to be where they are or they don't deserve to be writing poems or you know yep you, you do.
1: do you guys it's okay <laughs> group hug group hug but <laughs> i'm